Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. It's, uh, it's great. Yesterday we went serving. We served the Brookville area. Mike uh, got to operate a chainsaw for the first time ever. And uh, so it's, it's fun. My girls have been training to haul brush uh, for the last several months. So they did a very good job yesterday hauling brush. And uh, they've operated some, my girls have actually already operated chainsaws. So uh, they're pretty good at it. And uh, so I'll get them swinging a hammer and maybe cutting some wood too. So teaching my girls to be handy, and uh, dad just needs help sometimes, <laughs> so estrogen doesn't matter to me, you, I will help you, so anyway, hey, uh, last week, Steve uh, Justice spoke what I felt was an incredible message on the gifts of the Spirit, and, um, and I, I just love that the Lord promises, and, and he is a good father, has gifted all of us his Holy Spirit, all right, not to any one less or greater measure than another, that we get all of his spirit poured out to all flesh. And I just love that he offers that. At the end of his message, he was talking about the body. He was talking about the unity of the body. And I, I just want to elaborate on that today. And it gave me some language to intro into the message that I really want to talk about, about being dads, being parents, mothering and fathering. And I don't want you to tune out because this is a message to all people, no matter how old, young, male or female here, because I believe that fathering is a call on all of our lives to one degree or another, whether you have natural children or not, whether you're still in high school or not, I believe we are called to father movements. I believe that we're called to father industries. I believe we're called to father nations. I believe we're called to father the next generation coming up. We're called to father culture. We're called to be the influencers to the people and places around us where we live, where we play, where we work. And I just believe that's a call on each of our lives. So I want to get there, but Sorry, that wasn't as elegant as I usually can do it. I always forget to take my gum out. I'm usually just able to spit it in here without you guys ever even knowing. Today it was not as elegant. All right, so the body. Let me just tell you what the body structure looks like. The body structure, the skeleton is family, okay? If God wanted something different than family as the structure, then he wouldn't have us call him father, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, call us, he says, our Father, pray this, pray like this, multiple times in the Word, he says, our Father who art in heaven. So if he didn't want family, he wouldn't have us call him Father. I love the beautiful gift that he gives as the body, as we as children. Nicole referenced that, 1 John 3, 1, talking about how great his love is for us, that we are his children. He lavishes us with love. So we go to where Paul says it in Romans 8 and Galatians 4 that we, are, 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 we have the spirit of adoption. We have been bought with the spirit of adoption, and therefore we can cry out what? Abba, Father. It translates to Daddy. To the modern language, it would be, Daddy! How amazing is that, that we can cry out, Daddy? Now, let me, let me just tell you, one of my favorite things coming home, my daughter sometimes will see me pull in the driveway, and, and I have a little fire administration and fire car, all right? And I got a little speaker on there, a PA. And every once in a while, I come home, I'm like, hey! And I'll, I'll yell weird things through my microphone. And, uh, but anyway, they'll see that car coming, or they'll hear me, or they'll hear the door open, and they'll be like, Daddy's home! And it's this huge celebration. I love it. It, it just, 
It immediately, if I had a bad day at work, if I'm, if I'm worrying about something, if I'm already thinking about projects I'm going to do through the night or a meeting I have to go to, I automatically transition to, that's amazing. This night's going to be great, right? Because I get to hear, Daddy, that's how we get to approach our Father. I love what Adam said at the start of service. Like, he's, he's not just this judge. He's, he, his life changed when he met the Father's love. And that's when we get to cry out, Daddy, because it's from experience that we've been adopted with the spirit of adoption. I, I love this idea of home. See, see, we get to be called not only his children, his family, but we also get to be his bride. Now, now that's a beautiful thing. Husbands, did any of you marry an ugly bride? I need that louder. All right, out of boys. So when our bride was walking down that aisle, we weren't sitting here thinking, man, she ugly. All right. If you were, there's something wrong with you, and you need Josh Haas's help, all right? No, you're thinking, man, she's beautiful. Oh, my God. I cried, all right? How many dudes in here cried when you saw your wife walking down the aisle? Yeah, lots of you. Why? Because she's beautiful. She's amazing. Love has brought you to this moment that God's ordained his holy matrimony. It's this amazing thing. When God calls us his bride, he gets to be our groom, our companion, the other structure is the structure still within the same idea of home is family. He gets to be our dad. He's our best friend. He's our brother. Jesus says he'll stay closer than a brother. So we get this structure of family. So when I'm talking about the idea of home, we have this family wall out in the back of the church. And that, that side, we call it like the coffee room. There's a big wall there, and it's called the family wall. And when you choose informally to be members, you put your picture on that wall. Well, that comes with some responsibility. That comes with acceptance. That comes with celebration. That comes within the model and the context of family and home because now you're putting a stake in the ground to say, this is my house. Everybody say, this is my house. So the idea is that now this is home. Just like on a refrigerator at home, just like on a wall at home, you have your family portraits. We love the idea of our informal membership being that. Now, we have rules of membership, and we have a class, and we have these things to where, you know, yes, you're a financial giver. You're a, you're a faithful attender. You, you exemplify Christian lifestyle and values, you know, those things. But the reality is the guts of it is put your picture on the wall. Well, listen, above it, it says family, home, covenant. Why? Because you're saying, this is now mine. This is, this is not just the Simmons church. This is not just the pastor's church. This is, this is our church. This is our family. This is my family. So now that comes with some responsibility like children's workers or picking up that piece of trash you see in the parking lot or mowing that grass. Like it comes with some responsibility because even at home, I bring home the bread, guys. I'm the breadwinner, all right? I bring home the dough every other week. That nice little deposit in our bank account's nice. But guess what? I also take out the trash. I also put my dirty clothes in the laundry. I, I have responsibility. Yep, I'm the one doing things that no one else wants to do in the home. All right? I'm not even going to list them. Like, the, Emily's probably here, so I can't say what all happened in my home this week with critters and varmints. So, but at any rate, like, that's home. But home is not just a destination. Home is not a structure. Home is not a building. Let me tell you how I define home. Home is the environment. It's not a physical address. It's the environment created with love, joy, protection, comfort, security, identity, purpose, destiny, and my favorite part, and a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Listen, I don't live here, but this is home to me. I don't live here, but I call this my church home. 
Let me read you my quote, my definition of home again. Home is not a physical address. It's an environment created with love, joy, protection, comfort, security, identity, purpose, destiny, and a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Listen, I define uh, family as the functioning unit of love. That's my definition of family. What's family look like? It's the functioning unit. It's the organized unit of love. Family is the structure of what love looks like. And let me just kind of define that a little bit. Family is what love looks like in the way that we value each other. We celebrate one another. We don't stumble over each other's faults. We help each other. We submit to each other. We surrender to each other. We compromise. We disagree. Everybody say amen to that. Families disagree but still have unity. See, unity is not conformity. Unity is not everybody looking, feeling, believing, acting the same way. Unity is actually taking this big, amazing group of people together who have different backgrounds, different personalities, different callings, different occupations, different everything, putting them together and see how well are we going to love each other. How well and how healthy are we going to disagree when it arises? How well are we going to stick it out? How well are we going to be loyal to each other even in the face of disagreement? That's what family is. Family doesn't give me an option to leave. Family doesn't give me an option to just say, well, she offended me, I'm out. No, family doesn't give my kids the right when when Hadassah takes the baby that was somebody else's turn to have the baby that they just go out and leave and go on their own way. No, it doesn't work that way. So it's this amazing concept that when we come into family, we all have value at that table and we all belong and we all get to celebrate one another and actually come into unity, not agreement. Now we agree most of the time and it's truly tested though when we disagree. That, these, are, these are my idea of family. Let me, let me give you one more quote that I say about family. If family is the government of heaven and the love is the currency, then the economy must be relationships. The family is a kingdom business. The economy is relationships because the kingdom grows in the soil of relationships. It grows in the seed form of relationships. One of the greatest relationships that we get to have is being sons and daughters of the king of kings. It's this amazing thing that we get to be children of God. Isn't that amazing to think that I'm his boy. I'm his cherished, valued, celebrated, accepted child. And no matter what I do, the, Nicole said he's, he's painting pictures right now. Man, I just pictured the father like, like wrapping his arm around me. I showed him my report card, and he's like, that's amazing. Let's go to dinner. That's what we do with our kids because they always get straight A's. And on my report card today was straight A's. He's like, let's go to dinner. And I showed up, and it was the biggest table I've ever seen in my life. It was packed full of goodness. Like it's the heaven's table that invites us in, and we get to be children of God. Let me, let, me, let me go on here. I believe this, that we are called to be children, okay? We have to have the season of sonship. We have to have the season of, of being sons. And, and, and I, I love it that, that we can't be fathers until we're actually sons. It's impossible for you to be a mother or father before you were a child. You had to first be a son or a daughter before you could be a mother or father. Let, let me go into Scripture. Matthew um, Matthew says it like this, Matthew 20, 26. It says, whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He's talking about Jesus. So Jesus has came to serve, not be served. And then to give away his life in exchange for the many who are held hostage. 
Jesus came to serve, not be served. Jesus came into this earth to be low and to be a son. And for 30 years, he worked on the identity of being a son before he was ever a leader for just three years. Isn't that amazing that at the baptism at 30 years old, the father's saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So he's at the baptism, and it didn't matter anything he did. It was about who he was. This is my beloved son. He hadn't yet raised the dead. He hadn't healed the sick. He hadn't performed miracles. He hadn't preached the Sermon on the Mount. He hadn't went to the cross yet. And the father's saying this, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. 30 years he worked on being a son, serving, loving, demonstrating all these things for, for, for just to be a son for three years of the outward expression of the miracles. 30 years in identity, 30 years in alignment for three years of the assignment. You have to be a son before you can be a father. I love this, this quote that I, that I developed. This is another one from me. Not all followers are leaders, but all leaders were followers. It's just a good thing. Not all followers are leaders. It's, it's hard to be a good follower. It's hard to submit. It's hard to, to sometimes at all costs. It's hard to say, you know what, I'll take a bullet for, for you even if it's from you. Sonship means I'm going to give it all. Like, like covenant, and when we make these, these covenants and different things, like, like to me, when I make a covenant or call somebody family or, or made vows with my wife, that's till death do us part. I'm loyal to the end. And it's like not everybody has that same value system, but, but being a follower is hard. It, it, it's, it's challenging. But I'm telling you, if you pass the test of being a follower, being a servant, then all of a sudden God says you've done good with little, now much is given. And all of a sudden you can, you can be a leader. Let me, let me put it to you like this. Paul says this. Paul words it like this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. All of a sudden, there's something that happens in the family model that eventually, after we've mastered this thing called sonship, after we really feel secure in our identity and know that we're accepted, therefore, if we're accepted by the king of kings, no one can reject us, and we can just be this little boy and little girl with his great big dad, then now I can also be a father. First service, my dad happened to be here, and I called up my daughter and my dad, and, and we were all three standing here, three generations. See, God is a generational God. And, he, and you never stop being a son just to be a father. So I have my dad up here because I'm still a son to my dad, but now I'm a father and I had Evelyn up here as my daughter. So, so there's this model to where, like, I, went, I got some ministry time a couple weeks ago where I got some of my, my childlikeness back. I got some of my joy back. You never have to stop being a kid. You never have to stop being free and hope-filled and, and joy-filled in these things that Christ allows us to be because we can always be a child. But I believe today's message and what my heart was back in November, I feel like I got an upgrade. I feel like there was an impartation given to me by the Lord himself about wanting this desire to want to be a father. Now, now I have had natural children now for 12 years. We have four little girls that are just amazing. And, but here's the deal. I feel this fathering movement. I, I believe the crisis, the greatest crisis in our nation, and the greatest crisis that we've faced as a nation for the last two decades is fatherlessness. I don't believe the epidemic itself is the drug epidemic or the crime or the... the th I, I believe the epidemic and the root of it is from fatherlessness. And I believe God is calling to his children to say, it's time to stop being childish and it's time to start growing up that you can father a generation and end the fatherlessness. 
Ladies, I'm talking to you too. It's time that the mothers can actually start leading the younger, start pouring out, holding babies in the classroom, you know, having a conversation with the person serving you at lunch or the person checking you out at the grocery, like, like just mothering and fathering somebody, something. I believe that's the call on our life. Let me, let me say this. 1 Peter 2, 2-3 through 3 says it like this. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like I believe there's this call on our life, and I believe we are responsible. I believe we're held accountable, and I believe God is charging us to be fathers and mothers to the people and the industries and the things and the nations around us. You don't have to birth children to father somebody. Like simply, I, there's so many great fathers and mothers among you, and, 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 and many of you, your kids are gone. You don't even have them in your home, or you haven't had children yet. I see so many good mothers and fathers in here. It's simply loving beyond yourself to love somebody else for the same love you've experienced in Christ. The difference between a son and a father is a father gives it all away. That's the difference. So I was in Pennsylvania. In, in November, and I just remember being there, and I remember coming back, and something shifted in my heart. Something changed. And I knew that's what I was going to be speaking on Father's Day months ago because of that. I changed from wanting to just be a son, being a child, to being a father. I, I, want, I want to create platforms for others. I want to build others up beyond myself. I want to position others higher, better, farther, greater than I that's the main difference between, between growing in wisdom and stature. You know, in Luke, it talks about Jesus. He grew in stature, and he grew with influence, and he grew pleasing God and man. He grew in his influence. He grew in wisdom and stature. And, and let me just tell you, proof of wisdom is not just gray hair, nose hairs, ear hairs, and funky eyebrows. Thankfully, I don't have those funky eyebrows yet. The other stuff I can deal with. Gray hair is a little harder. I'm not going to dye my hair, all right? I'm just not going to do it. The hairline might be moving back. That's just signs of wisdom, y'all. But here's, here's the deal. True proof of moving from the heart of a son to a heart of a father is it's not all about me. You give it all away. Like, like some other things is that you be, you're able to love without an agenda and you're able to love even when the person or the thing or the industry or whatever isn't responding back. Listen, I, I tell my kids, I love them. When they're spassing out, you know what I do? I grab them and I say, I love you. When they're, when they're being disrespectful, I love you. It's time to go to your room. You will not speak to me like that. I love you. When you can choose fun, you can come right back down here and play the game with us. That's the thing. I love no matter what I'm seeing, no matter what I'm experiencing, the difference between a child and a father is it's not about me. It's not about what I get in return. It's not just about what platform I can make for myself. It's not about how good I am and who I met with and, and what happened this week in my life. No, it's actually about you, and I'm asking about you. It's creating a platform so somebody else can grab the microphone on there and do better than you ever did. It's creating wealth to give it all away. It's creating influence to allow others to come in like a Joseph to Pharaoh to actually control the nation and bless others. The difference between a father and a son is a father gives it all away, and he's building something beyond himself. A father thinks in a hundred-year plan versus just for the now. 
A father thinks in three generations, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A father thinks in a, in a, in a realm of the Eiffel Tower or in a realm of the, the Golden Gate Bridge where they're building something they'll never even get to experience. David and Solomon. Now, now, now this is coming from David, man. He's a good... He, I love what my friend Jamie says. And in this story, let me just tell you, David had this dream. He had this dream to build the tabernacle, to rebuild it, to host the presence. To, he had this amazing godly dream. And then God speaks to a prophet and says, David, you're not, you're not the right one. You, you're not it. But your son Solomon, that's who's going to build the tabernacle. And you can find this in the word if you want to study it. And, and so what happens is my friend positions it like this. Jamie, he's like, he says this. He says, what God was saying wasn't that you're a failure wasn't because you fell to Bathsheba. It wasn't because you lost your joy. Like many of us, we read this story and think that David didn't get the blessing because of his failures. Here's his proposition was that, listen, God's saying, David, you were good with a slingshot. You were good with a harp. You were good caring for your dad. You were good with a sword. You were good with a crown. You're just not good with a hammer. So here's the point in time where David shifted from being a son and caring more about himself to when we knew he was a father. And it's this, he worked the rest of his life to build up the next generation and hand it all over to Solomon. He worked the rest of his life setting up craftsmen, goldsmiths, woodworkers, getting all the resources, the provisions, the financing, everything. He got it so great that he had to tell people to quit giving, and then he handed it all to Solomon. That's a father. That's a fathering spirit. That's a father's heart where we get and we build up just to give it all away in a place or a thing that we may never even see. A father thinks a hundred years out for generations to come, not just for the now. A father thinks in that third generation, listen, there were so many people that lost their lives building some of these structures that we live in, that we see, that we get to go, go, go a hundred floors up and see something. We get to cross the Golden Gate Bridge. I've crossed that. You know how many guys died doing that in two, three generations it took to build that? And so many structures. You move to Europe, it's even beyond that. Hundreds and 500 years to build some of the chapels and the places that, that we now get to go and take pictures of, of people that poured their life into it an entire lifetime without ever even experiencing it, sitting in that pew, sitting in that office, crossing that bridge. That's a father's spirit to pour out for the next generation to come. That's what we're being called to do. We're called, being called to love. We're being called to pour out. We're being called to challenge the culture and the generation coming up to the values of Christ. Listen, if we're not going to father him, somebody or something is. Whether it's television, social media, the people on the playground, the people in the school bus, the people on Facebook, the media, somebody is fathering the generation coming up. And I'd much rather it be me fathering my kids than what they see on the TV or TV show or here on the playground or school bus. It's the same thing with adults. It's the same thing that our culture is trying to influence and impose and, and do these things. Come on, guys. The, the, the enemy never wins, but he's not stupid. He is stupid. I don't know how to word that appropriately right now for my theology. But he's a loser, but, but he has tactics. Come on, we, we've got to father a generation. We've got to father a movement. We've got to father the people and the things around us. The Bible even instructs us to do this. Let me, let me go here. Uh, Proverbs 22.6 says this. 
says it like this, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've never heard this position put on me as a father to train. I've always heard it as, a, as, a, as a, an effect that if we've done this right, then they'll come back. But let me just tell you, the first thing in that is an instruction for us to train up children. It is an instruction. It's a mandate that's on our lives for us to actually pour out to children, to pour out to those that are around us, young or old. Like to, to influence, to lead, to impact culture, to impact our industry, to impact our friends and our coworkers, our, the people we come in contact with. Train up a child in the way he or she should go. And when they're old, they're not going to depart from it. There are seeds that are there that are going to make fruit, that are going to be fruitful and multiply, that are going to come out, that are going to bloom. We're called to do this. Paul puts it like this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Another version says, follow me as I follow Christ. Here, here's the thing. He's saying, listen, Jesus is the greatest example. I'm going to follow him. He's my dad. I'm his son. And he's telling Timothy, now you're my son. So you too imitate Christ, but then also on a spiritual context, imitate me as I imitate him, and I'm going to model this for you in flesh. I'm going to model this. I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to counsel you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to pour into you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be there with your struggles. I'm going to be there through your failures. And as I do this, you do this. He's saying this. And and it says this in 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 3. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child of faith, to Timothy, my spiritual son, who is not his natural son. It says this, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. It's <laughs> exactly what we're saying. Two things here. I need you to stay here because I trust you. Listen, this was the church of Ephesus. This was the revival church. This was Paul's baby. And he's entrusting all of it to Timothy, who he raised up to take it over. Like, this is the model church. This is the paradigm church. And he's handing it all to Timothy and trusting his baby to Timothy. Why? Because Timothy had his heart because he had poured into him and set him up for success in this way. Here's the other thing. He's saying, and I also need you to stay here because I trust you. You have my heart. This is all yours. But so that false teachers influence other people won't father them because I trust you to father them. Listen, if we don't step up to the plate as believers, as Christ followers, demonstrating the goodness of Jesus, like Jesus is the model. Do we know that Jesus is perfect theology? Jesus is the greatest example. Jesus demonstrated healing. Jesus demonstrated power. Jesus demonstrated serving. Jesus demonstrated love. He's the greatest example. And as we follow him, we just teach others to do the same. But if we're not going to do that, there's going to be influence and false teachers that rise up and false prophets that give them a bad perception of who Jesus really is. My kids, at second grade, I, we started talking to Chloe, first or second grade, about sex. Because a kid on the playground, we talk very openly to our kids in a healthy way, in an age-appropriate way about sex. But we start very young because I want to be the first person that teaches them about what sex is, why it was designed, why God gave it to us as a gift, and the benefits of sex within the context of a marriage, and only a marriage. I, I want my kids to hear that from me because as young as first and second grade, Chloe's hearing things on the playground that sex is dancing close together. No, honey, that's not sex. Here's what it is. And as you get older, we'll even tell you more. 
God designed sex as a really good thing. We're teaching our kids so that they hear the real perspective of the purity and the glory and the benefits and the, the unity in sex. The gift that God gave it to us rather than the perversion that the world wants to create of it outside the context of marriage. Let me, let me move on here. I love this quote. This is, this is a quote from Walter Shira, Sr. And he was a, a fighter pilot within World War I. And I, I love this quote. I found it uh, regarding fathering. And here's what it says. You don't raise heroes, you raise sons. And if you treat them like sons, they'll turn out to be heroes, even if it's in your own eyes. I want to read that again. You don't raise heroes, you raise sons. And if you treat them like sons, they'll turn out to be heroes, even if it's just in your own eyes. His son, Junior, ended up also becoming a well-decorated fighter pilot and then an influential astronaut for NASA. I think his fathering a son worked to turn out a hero. We pour out our love in the way that Jesus pours out his love and the way the Father pours out his love. Guess what? Heroes will arise from zeros. Somebodies will come up from being nobodies. Why? Because there is a, there is a commissioning on each of our lives. We are not a plan B. We are God's plan A. Just say that. Say, I'm God's plan A. The people around you are God's plan A. He predestined them for such a time as this. Put them on this earth. Put them in front of you every day. That moment, I believe we owe the people around us an encounter with the Father's heart. I believe we owe them an encounter with Jesus. I believe we owe them that. Why? Because freely I receive, so freely I can give. Because that's what a father does. Let me wrap this up. The, the band can come. David, he not only... This is, a, this is a great story. It's actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible about David giving it all away to Solomon. It's definitely in my heart. McCall and I love, we used to have a complex and be pretty insecure. When we leave on vacation, church services would be far better than when we were here. We'd be like, oh yeah, everybody was laid on the floors, deep encounters, deliverance, freedom. My gosh, you should have seen all the miracles happening. There was people getting healed. We're like, oh, what's wrong with us? Are we stifling something? Are we quenching Holy Spirit when we're there? No, we're, we're giving the authority away and we're equipping others to do greater than we do when we're here. I, I love sitting down there and hearing Josh speak or Steve Bowen or anybody else. I love when, when Adam comes up here to lead worship. It's far different than when Julie leads by herself. I love that, that we share a platform that, that we're not better than anybody else. Listen, the true heart of the Father is, is that we become so close in our relationship with a child that we actually become friends and we exchange value in each other. I, I, love, I love that about my daughters, man. I got some really smart girls, thanks to Nicole. They're super smart. And, and Chloe comes home teaching me things about the Bible. And I'm like, whoa, never knew that. That's amazing. Or challenging me. I, I told her, I said, a true good friend in relationship is somebody who challenges you. Every once in a while, I'll say a story and a little piece will be off. Or a little piece might be inaccurate, mostly by accident. 
sometimes just I like I used to find significance in that to make it better and bigger make myself feel more important but most often it's just an accident and Chloe will, will go home and Chloe will say dad you lied today I lied what do you mean I lied today you lied that wasn't the right number in the story that you said the other day really and then it checks my heart like why because I'm allowing her to add value me and then I repent discussed about a year ago, uh, the greatest influence that we're going to have on this earth are the ones in our home. My greatest responsibility, my greatest ministry, my priority ministry is my marriage and my children. The greatest fruit that I'm going to be able to walk out on this earth is the fruit from my children. Now, everything else is a bonus. My role at the department, my role here, my role in others' lives, I value that. I love it. I, I'm honored. I'm, I'm humbled by the call that God's put on my life. I really am. But my greatest disciples and my greatest time that I need to pour out is in my own home. And then imagine the fruit of that. I, I, I just, I love it. So Solomon wrote most of Proverbs. And if we go to Proverbs 4, 2 through 4, it's, it's this great story. God told Solomon when he was pretty young, he said, listen, ask anything, I'm going to give it to you. Whatever you want. Now Solomon could have asked for joy. He could have asked for any gift. He could have asked for any influence, any impact. He could have asked. Literally, it was an open-ended question. Whatever you want, I'll give you. Solomon asked for wisdom. So many times we... We attribute his success, his, his, his royalty, the tabernacle, those things, the successes in his life to the wisdom in which he had. His, his, his ability to, to bring in relationships with females to influence their entire nation. Like, he, he wasn't just um, promiscuous. I don't know how else to say that. I, I don't want to say really bad words right now. He was actually using his wisdom to create influence into an entire nation by having relationships with women. Wisdom, like we attribute a lot of this to wisdom. But here, I found this, that it was actually David that had poured into him as a father that set him up for success before he ever got wisdom given to him. And it says this in Proverbs 4, 2 through 4. For I give you good precepts, Solomon says, do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, Tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. He taught me and said to me. He's saying, David, my dad taught me and said this to me. My dad molded me. My dad poured into me. My dad gave himself for me. And he said this, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. So Solomon's saying, my dad told me this. My dad taught me this. My dad poured into me. My, my dad spent time with me. My dad was a king. My dad was a warrior. My, my dad did all these things. But he taught me. Like, David had a father's heart. Gave it all away. I, I, I just, I feel like today there, there is an inheritance of children among us. There's an inheritance. There's a heritage. The Bible says it this way. The Bible says in Psalms 127, 3-5, Behold, the children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. 
And I want you to know it's not just the fruit of natural children. It's how we pour out our lives and how we father movements, father people, father nations. It becomes a reward because it's part of our heritage and our call and our mandate in life. There's something powerful about the father-son combo. And when we can operate as both and we see that exchange and now we're best friends, adding value to each other is powerful. In Acts 2, there's a reference about the Holy Spirit being poured out to all flesh. And, and he says this, one of the things said in that same context is that your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Listen, there's a powerful thing that when a builder comes together with an architect and they actually work together in the family unit to get the work done. If you don't have an architect or a planner or, or, or a person you know, calling the shots and leading the way, it's hard to have a plan to know what to build. The same thing, you can have all the plans in the world, but if you don't have the builders, it doesn't get done. So there's this merger of generations that comes together. There's this merger when we're fathering the next generation or a movement. Now something happens. There's, a, there's, there's this a beautiful thing when the family comes together to operate in the unit in the context of a home to where we're better together than we ever were apart. We're stronger together. Three-chord strand can't be broken. Why? Because Christ is in the center of that. So we have guys like Moses who had a dream and Joshua with a vision to fulfill it. As Moses' arms were lifted up, Joshua got the, got the credit for the victory in the battle, but they were together. Elijah has this, has this dream. Elisha, with the double portion, had the vision to fulfill it. We, we, we can go down the line. Jacob and Joseph. You know, one of my favorites is this David and Solomon. David had this dream, and Solomon had the vision to fulfill it. But then the greatest on the planet Earth that's ever existed is God the Father had the dream to reunite his family and his children back to him, and Jesus had the vision to fulfill it. Jesus had the ability to endure up to the cross with crucifixion and torture and death to bring us back to the Father. It was the Father's Son who connects us back to him forever. It's amazing. Why don't you stand with me? Malachi 4.6 says this. He says that he, that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and hearts of the children to the father. I, I, I truly believe that there's something breathing in our atmosphere today. I believe there's something breathing in here where he is reconciling relationships. And I, and I don't want to just limit it to natural children and natural fathers. I believe he's reconciling marriages. I believe he's reconciling friendships. I believe he's recon reconciling, you know, relationships between siblings. But ultimately, I believe the Father is reconciling relationships with us, the children, the children out there with him, the prodigals. Like, I just believe this. And that's going to be our prayer as we end. There's, there's this incredible story, this parable, this story that Jesus tells, and it's about the prodigal son. And let me just very briefly sum it up. Here's a guy that, that spent everything, that spent all of the inheritance, took it early, disgraced the family, disgraced their name, disgraced them in the community, disgraced their culture. They're in a pit, he's in a pig pen. Says he comes to his senses. Now the father, here's the thing, he said he saw him from afar off. Do you, do you know, as he's journeying back and he's convicted, he's coming back. And it says the father saw him from afar off. You know what that tells me? That God never stopped watching for him. God never stopped looking and waiting for him and waiting and expecting and wanting him to come back. Now the beautiful thing about the father is he leaves it on us to make a choice in our free will. He loves us that much. He trusts us that much. The moment he gets from afar off, it says the father pursued him. And he, it says he, he ran to him essentially. 
Now, in that culture, it's called kazaza. Only in that culture, if he came back, only the mother could greet him at the gate with one final kiss goodbye, and he was never allowed to return again. Listen. The Father is not ashamed of you. The Father doesn't care about policy, procedure, rules, laws. The, the Father doesn't care about culture. He doesn't care about getting dirty when he wraps his arms around you from you just coming from a hog pen. He doesn't care about your mess. He will defy all odds and break down every wall just to get to you. And then when he gets to you, covers you with this robe signifying your identity, your acceptance, your royalty, your worth. Then all of a sudden, he puts these sandals on you, the best sandals, commissioning you to go in peace. Like sandals, you don't need sandals if you're not going to go somewhere, so it's purpose to go. Throws a party, the fatted calf, the, the, the esteemed beef, like grade A stuff, good stuff. And then, but the, my favorite part of the story is when they talk about the insignia ring. That ring, it is so powerful once you know the context of what an insignia ring is. It is the family name. It is literally the authority. It is all of what the family's power is. It is their signature. It's their seal. It's their family crest. So when they were going to make a covenant or make a land purchase or trade something, they would sign it. They would stamp that ring in ink and then stamp it on the contract. That was the authority, all delegated authority with the name of the family. God gives you a new name and he calls you by it and he makes you a new creature and he calls you into the family and gives you all his authority and all of heaven because that's your inheritance as children. That's the father's demonstration. And I believe he's calling the sons and the children back to him and he's already pursuing you. And I believe that's our mandate to lead others into that same encounter. He's a good, good father. Let me pray for you. Just put your hands on your heart. Lord, I thank you for being a good father. I thank you in the name of Jesus that you are adopting us with the spirit of adoption, that we are your children. That's what we are. I thank you that we can be sons and daughters. I thank you that we can be children full of faith, childlike, with joy and, and wonder, God. Lord, at the same time, while keeping that, I thank you that we can father and mother and we can parent and we can be called for such a time as this to influence the things around us, the people around us, the industries, the culture, the, the nations, God. I thank you for the call to father nations just like Abraham. And we will be the father of many sons and daughters, many nations, God. That this house will be a house that's a family moving in the context of love to father a movement parent to pour out, to love, to give it all away, to lead people back to your heart. Lord, as Jesus is our demonstration, we just ask that right now you turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to the Father. We pray for the redemption and reconciliation of relationships. We pray that on this day, Father's Day, that today is the day of salvation, of being saved, healed, and delivered. I pray right now that there'll be unforgiveness that's released and there'll be forgiveness that's given to, to people that have wronged us or hurt or build up walls, God. I pray right now you knock down every wall, distance, and division among relationships that are represented in this room. Lord, if there's family strains or marriages or, or whatever it might be, God, I just pray right now for reconciliation and you're turning hearts of people towards each other. I thank you, Jesus. You're so good. Oh, Father, we just wish you happy Father's Day. We cry out, Daddy. We cry out, Abba, Father. And we just acknowledge you as the greatest Father to ever walk this planet, to ever demonstrate goodness, the power of love, 